We are never told that we encounter God by turning off our thoughts and turning up our emotions. In fact, we're told the opposite. We're told that God comes to us in power and, and, and manifests Himself, not to the brain that's turned off, but to the one that's turned on. So Ahab sent all the prophets of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the, on the wood and put no fire in it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered and is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as what contained two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no, none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Gracious Father, 
Open the eyes of our heart that we may see your wonders in your word. Cause us to be knit together in not just our spirit, but in our thoughts with Jesus Christ this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen. So we pick up in our story here in verse 25. Now in verse 25, the trial, so to speak, is going to begin. Elijah has given the instructions. They've received the instructions. The people said that sounds like a good idea to us because it is so heavily skewed towards Baal. Not only is this taking place in Baal's home turf on the place that's been known for centuries for Baal worship, but it's also taking place in, in a way in which gives every possible advantage to the false god known as Baal. If, it, if there's any way that he can bring fire, then he'll do it here. He'll do it now. He's known as the god of the storm. And if anything, the god of the storm should be able to do, it would be to send a lightning bolt down onto this sacrifice. So everything has been skewed toward Baal. And they're about to find out who is the real god and who is the true god. But as we said last time, that's not the main point of this. The main point is not that God would show Himself to be the real, true God, the only living God. God will do that. He will show Himself in power. But the larger point, the main point that's going on is that God is teaching His people and us, once again, as He does so many times throughout the Old Testament and the New, He's teaching us once again about sin and how sin is dealt with and how sin is taken away. Sin is dealt with in only one of two ways. Either the sinner pays with their life for the wages of sin is death or an acceptable substitute is uh, offered up and received by God and his sacrifice is accounted for for the sin of another. That, of course, is a description of Jesus. Jesus is the lamb who will take away the sin of the world. But Jesus won't come to a people who are not prepared in their hearts and in their minds to know something about what He's here to do. So God is preparing His people and He's showing them the problem is your sin. And the consequence of your sin is this drought. And the drought cannot be removed until the sin that brought the drought is dealt with. And so that sin will be dealt with by way of this substitute sacrifice that must be accepted by the authority. And the authority, meaning God, will show His acceptance by sending fire. And so it's not as though the people are repenting and being forgiven of their sins. That's not what God's doing here. God instead is teaching them and us, this is the only way to deal with sin. An acceptable substitute must be offered in place of you, and I must receive that and accept that and show my acceptance of that. So that's what's taking place throughout the passage that we talked about last week. Now we come to the point in which this procedure actually begins. In verse 25, Elijah then said to the prophets of Baal. So this is the first time he's addressed the prophets. He's talked to the people only so far. But then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. So in other words, because you have such a numerical advantage, you go first. Because you are so many and I'm only one, then you should have the first go at this. So it, again, it's just like piling on and on these advantages that would skew everything towards the false prophets and towards Baal. If he exists at all, he has every advantage given to him. 
So choose for yourselves one one bull, prepare it, for you are many, because you're so many, because you have such strength in numbers. Let me let you go first. I'm only one. I'll wait and I'll go second. But then maybe it's something else is going on too. Maybe Elijah, in his wisdom that God has given to him, maybe he recognizes that if he went first and God sends the fire, then perhaps the false prophets could say, well, if we'd gone first, Baal would have sent fire too. So all of this in God's wisdom is being avoided. There's going to be no question about this whatsoever. So he says, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. I want no shenanigans. I want no fast ones being pulled. If this offering is going to be accepted by a deity, the deity has to do it. No human can have any part in this. Your hands must be tied. You must be completely helpless as far as bringing this fire upon this. So Elijah knows a couple things, I think. First of all, he knows that these false prophets are fully capable of bringing fire from heaven. Or I should say, not the false prophets themselves, but the Satan that they serve is fully capable of sending fire from heaven. Revelation 13, verse 13, we're told that the second beast is given the power to bring down fire from heaven. Or we think of Job, remember the story of Job, where Satan has given some leeway to test Job, and we're told that Satan sends down fire from heaven to consume Job's house. So we know that, that the demonic has the power to bring fire. But we also know that God in this instance is going to not allow that. He's not going to, or he's going to prevent that. But Elijah, I think, for the second part, also knows that these false prophets are probably well capable of deception and trickery, sleight of hand. Because the people have not followed Baal for no reason. The people have not hopped between Yahweh and Baal just because they thought it'd be fun. They are following Baal because they have been shown some kind of signs. They have been convinced in some way of Baal's power to be good to them. Now, maybe that was through some sort of demonic display, but probably more likely it's been through some trickery, some sleight of hand that the foreign prophets of Baal are probably skilled at. So Elijah realizes this and he says, I don't want any funny business here. There's not going to be any sleight of hand. You're not going to touch the offering. You're not going to put any fire to it. I don't want any sort of trickery going on here. Put no fire to it, he says. And uh, verse 26, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, which means they slaughtered it. This is a bloody affair. This is a bloody affair of death. So they slaughtered it, they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. That could also be translated, O Baal, hear us. So they make this cry from morning to noon, we're told. Now we're not told what time it begins. It begins at morning. So what does morning mean? The Hebrews think of morning as beginning at nine. So we'll assume it begins at nine o'clock. I'm an early riser, so for me, nine o'clock is almost lunchtime. But for the Hebrews, nine o'clock, was considered to be the beginning of morning. So it could have been earlier, but at least it's three hours. So for three hours, they call upon the name of Baal, saying, O Baal, answer us. Now, don't think that this is maybe 12, 10, 8 representatives of the false prophets. This is 450 men. 
probably in addition to the 400 men who are prophets of Asherah. Assuming they're all men, maybe not. So we're talking about 850 people chanting in unison. Maybe the people are joining along with this. I think it's very likely that they are because when we think of crowd mentality and what we'll talk about in just a moment about chanting, I think it's probably very likely that the people were joining in on this. Certainly Ahab and Jezebel were joining in on this. So we're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of people for three hours chanting, O Baal, answer us. 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 Over and over and over and over for three hours or more. So don't have in your mind this picture of this quiet little affair where a few prophets are saying, Baal, please answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. You know something about the effect of a crowd. We're seeing that in some painfully obvious ways over the last year, just how crowd mentality works and how crowd mentality can change people's thinking and it can change people's actions. But we also know something about chanting, mindless chanting, and how mindless emotional sort of chanting can change one's thoughts and can change one change one's change one's beliefs. Chanting is part of nearly every, if not every, false religion that I'm aware of. Some form of mindless chants. It's part of Buddhism, it's part of Hinduism, it's part of Islam. Uh, it's a big part of Roman Catholicism. So this idea of chanting. You uh, are familiar with probably the stories of, of uh, particularly monks and how they chant, so these same chants over and over and how that uh, it, it becomes sort of a mindless sort of thing and becomes a mind-altering kind of thing. We think of uh, different... Uh, religions maybe that you've encountered or read about or seen in movies in which chanting is such a big part of that. So here's these prophets of Baal. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Hundreds of voices chanting and chanting and chanting. Now, this is something that's foreign to Christianity because God does not call us to mindless chants In fact, Scripture never tells us to turn off our brain. Scripture never tells us to empty our thoughts. Never. But that's all about what chanting is is for. This sort of turning off your thoughts and opening up emotions to be manipulated and to be swept along with sort of a crowd mentality. It's all about stirring up emotionalism. But it's also all about turning off your rational thoughts, turning off your logical thoughts. So a lot of times people will think that that's how we, that's how we encounter God is by ramping up the emotions, turning down the thought process, turning off the brain, and then just sort of letting God come in. But that is never how Scripture tells us that we encounter God. We are never told that we encounter God by turning off our thoughts and turning up our emotions. In fact, we're told the opposite. We're told that God comes to us in power and, and, and manifests Himself, not to the brain that's turned off, but to the one that's turned on. 
We're told to renew our minds. We're told that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and mind. We are told that, that it is the one whose thoughts are stayed upon God. That is the one whom God keeps safe. Isaiah 26, verse 3. So this mindless sort of chanting, again, is really big in false religions, really big in Roman Catholicism. In fact, I read just a couple of weeks ago that uh, there is a growing movement in English-speaking Roman Catholics to bring back the Mass in Latin. I mean, we, there was a big fight about that 500 years ago. It's called the Reformation, in which the Reformers said, what are we doing? We're getting together and worshiping God in a language that people don't understand. Why? And we fought that battle and sort of moved on from that. Now there's the growing resurgent movement among English-speaking Roman Catholics here in North America that are bringing back the Mass in Latin. Why? Because it creates a heightened emotional experience. Because it creates an aura of worship. I'll tell you what it creates. It creates a soul that's wide open for demonic activity. And so these mindless, repetitive chants as the crowd is just whipping themselves up into an emotional lather. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Over and over and over and over it goes. From morning until noon, but there was no voice and no one answered. That's going to be a theme from this point down to the end of the story is that regardless of what is said and what is done and how they cry out and what takes place, there will be no answer. There will be no voice that answers. And so there is no, no voice to answer. We read in, um, in Psalm 135, we're told that the idols of the nations are silver and uh, gold in the work of human hands. And they might have mouths, but those mouths don't speak. They might have eyes, but those eyes don't see. They might have ears, but those ears don't hear. They might have mouths, but there's no breath in their mouth. And so there is no answer from Baal. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.